All right, guys. Um, if you need a Bible, can you just put your hand up? We have some great people uh, passing out some Bibles. And if you do have your Bible, open it up to uh, Daniel chapter 6. And uh, can we just, can I just get a quick shout? Like, who had a good time at camp? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm so just so encouraged, so refreshed. Hopefully you guys were able to get some sleep. Um, I know sometimes that, sometimes that happens, sometimes that doesn't. I was just talking with somebody, uh, Connor, who had three straight camps. I was like, I would be sleeping for the next three straight weeks. So hopefully you guys are able to just kind of get some rest. Um, but as I said, if you guys have your Bibles, open them up to, to Daniel chapter 6. Um, I was serving in the children's ministry at one time and there was this sweet just little precious girl that kind of came up to me and she uh asked what my name was and so when i told her my name is daniel she like looked at my arm and just like lit up with excitement it was like like the lion's den like just pointed at my arm and i was like i didn't have the heart to be like that's not why i got it but i was like yeah totally um the reason why I say that, just very randomly, is uh, I'm excited to actually be speaking on Daniel in the lion's den. So that's actually the story that we're going to be talking about this morning. And so we've been going through a series through the book of Daniel. And so the last, the last uh, week, um, Aaron Dickey spoke on Daniel chapter 5, which was about um, this king who had taken all of these... Um, all of these cups and just precious things out of the temple and was, was using them for a, for a party and just angering God and just dishonoring him. And so you see this just human just hand just start writing on the wall in a language they did not understand. And at this point, the king was absolutely just terrified and annoyed at the meaning. And so later in that story, Daniel interprets the meaning. And for him, it was a, it was a bummer of an ending. Basically, what it was was your king... Your kingdom's come to an end, and it's going to be divided. And so that night, he was actually killed. And so the start of Daniel 6, this is why I say this, the start of Daniel 6 is when just everything um, is split and is divided within the kingdom. So uh, we're going to start at just verse 1, and we're just, this morning, we're, we're going to make our way through the story. And so Daniel uh, 6, 1 through 5 says, Darius um, the Med decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all of the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be the connection with the rules of his religion. And so for those uh, taking notes this morning, the first thing is just simply jealousy is ugly. We clearly see that these men had high positions of power. That, that this was the king who was splitting his kingdom, his reign, into different regions. And these men were actually appointed over it. And so you think about just the responsibility. You think about kind of probably the wealth, the, the high honor that that position was. And yet we see something where they're just completely dissatisfied, completely disconnect, discontent, and always wanting more. That, that, that again, it, just, it wasn't enough for them to have the role that they had. 
They had to see the one that was at the very top and envy and covet and be so jealous over that that they were blind to anything else. And I'm sure you guys have always kind of heard the quote or the, you know, the old saying that, that the grass is always greener on the other side. But what it is, is it's, it's this idea that comparison kills contentment. That, that, that they couldn't just see what they had right in front of them. They couldn't just be thankful and, and grateful for the position and the honoring. Um, because again, this kingdom had just been recently split. And so it wasn't even like maybe people had this type of power beforehand. And so we see this, and yet again, we just see that it's not enough. And, and so they're plotting, and they're planning on ways to kill a man that they could not find any fault in. That, that the level of envy that that would take in order to get to that place where you're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with him, but I want what he has, so we should kill him. I mean, that, 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 that's what we have in the story. That Luke twelve fifteen says, Then he, this is referring to Jesus, just said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And uh, I just want to, cl- you know, clarify this next story that um, it, I, I actually did some research on it. It's probably more of an, of an urban tale than an actual complete truth of this is how it was. But, you know, I've referred to myself often as kind of a walking uh, BBC, BBC documentary. So uh, I apologize for all of the animal facts. But there's this story that I think has just honestly just such powerful imagery. I know people in the back are rolling their eyes. Um, but bear with me. And so it's this tale of actually how um, Native Americans would hunt wolves in the Arctic. And what they would actually do, the story in it, is they would grab a knife and they would sharpen it as, t- uh, you know, as much as possible. The blade was so sharp. And then they would actually soak it in animal blood. <laughs> uh, bear, again, sorry, it might be a little bit graphic. But, they, but they, would, they would soak it in that. And then the cold would just, it would ice. It would be like a very nasty blood popsicle. And what they would do is they would just, they would stick it in the ground and they would wait. And what you would see is that you would see the wolf at the smell of blood would just be so consumed that it would just start running at it. And it would just start licking it. And, and, and the more that it tasted the blood, the more obsessed it became. And ultimately, the breath would actually warm up the sword and warm up this popsicle. Ultimately to the point where then it would actually start cutting itself by licking the blade to the point where it would actually destroy itself. And, and I apologize if that's a bit graphic. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to get more lighthearted, I promise. But the reason why I say that is that, like, spiritually, that's what envy does to your life. That's what envy does to your soul. That it's this feeling of just being so consumed and so blinded by something that often it's actually the very thing that is slowly destroying you, slowly destroying your joy, slowly destroying your contentment to where you are so blinded and consumed by everything else that you miss what the Lord actually wants for you. And and actually, we're going to talk about it later, you know, kind of just kind of foreshadowing what's to come later in the story. But um, the men that plot to kill Daniel actually end up having an ending um, equally as painful. (laughs) Um, It it does not end well for them. But again, kind of continuing back into Daniel 6 and and continuing into this story, um, we're going to we're going to resume at verse 10. And so ultimately what they do is they come up to the king and they, they kind of just 
um, just start appeasing him, kind of start talking about how good he is, kind of start uh, just making him feel really proud and feel, uh, really feel confident. And so they actually, they convince the king to sign a decree. And the decree is very simple. It says that if you worship anyone or anything besides King Darius, you will be thrown into the lion's den. So for the next 30 days, anybody who does anything else other than worshiping the king will be destroyed. And so the king, again, in his pride and in just, I mean, you know, he's probably, you know, thinking, yeah, that's not a bad law to sign. You know, just people t- talking about how good I am. And so he does it. He signs it. And yet we, this is where we pick up in the story, this moment where Daniel hears about the decree. And, and, and as before, they couldn't find any fault against him in the way that he conducted himself because he was above reproach. But they attacked his faith in God. And so verse 10 says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about the law. And so the second point this morning is just simply as usual. The outer circumstances did not change Daniel's heart and approach to God. And uh, Stephen Furtick is this, is this pastor out on the East Coast. And, and one of the things that he said in a message that I loved, it was just so simple, but it was powerful. He said, the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. And, and Jesus constantly in his ministry talked about how this wasn't easy. Um, that oftentimes there isn't, just in the same way that there is a God who loves you and wants what's best for you, there is an enemy who is after you. There is an enemy that, that does want to bring you down. And so oftentimes when we walk through the faith, Jesus promises that he's faithful and he promises that it's worth it, but he does not promise that it's easy. And so there are these moments where, Push comes to shove, and they want to see how strong you are. And in those moments where your faith is being tested, you kind of find out what your heart is really made of. And, and to be honest, I think sometimes even, you know, post-camp, this can be a little bit of a struggle at times if we're not on guard, is that at camp, it's so easy to worship Jesus when, when everybody else is. It's so easy to read, in, read your Bible when 200 people are doing that as well. But then when you come home, and those outer circumstances are weighing on you, you come home, maybe, there's, maybe it's tough at home. Maybe home isn't, isn't an easy place to be. Maybe there are those temptations or struggles in your life that just instantly come right back. It's not like it was at camp. And in those moments, it, what we see is that as Daniel prayed and prepared his heart in private, that's what allowed him to be who he was in public. That, that, there, that there was this private reflection, this private seeking of the Lord, this private work that, that he was doing that for three times a day, you know, it talked about that he would pray. And he didn't do that for show. He didn't do that so anyone else could just be like, look how spiritual he is. He did it because he pressed in and wanted to seek God and have him lead and strengthen him. And so we see that Daniel, it didn't matter what the outer circumstances were, that his heart and his character remained the same. 
through it all. And so, you know, again, this is where as usual comes along that, that he hears this decree, that he hears this law, and I'm sure he's filled with fear. But as we've also just read through this series in Daniel, God has continually been showing up for him, that the Lord was not going to leave Daniel hanging out to dry. And so he seeks him in this. But here's the thing that I also love is that the first thing that he did was he praised God. I mean, in the midst of these difficult circumstances, in the midst of doing something that could actually have you be thrown into a den of lions, the first thing he does is praise God in that moment. And praising God, regardless of circumstance, in private is what prepares you for the public. It's what prepares you for people to see who you, who you are. And again, when his life was on the line, the first thing he did was praise God. And I would just say, often at times, in the midst of our hardships, the one thing that always helps us with perspective, because as I said earlier, comparison kills contentment, that one of the best ways to continually have healthy perspective is by praising Jesus regardless of circumstance. Because circumstance constantly changes, it ebb and flows, yet our God remains the same. And so Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a uh, representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so this is where, again, I just want to encourage and remind you guys, don't let those outer circumstances change your approach and your heart to Jesus. Does anyone remember, like, learning how to ride a bike? (laughs) I am... So uncoordinated. It was a constant struggle for me. Um, <laughs> I was laughing because you can picture how uncoordinated I am. But I remember when my parents were first trying to teach me how to ride a bike. Um, you know, it's not like you were go- it wasn't like I was going very fast. So they, he would, my, my father would kind of run in front of me and kind of help try to guide me along. And I remember constantly this idea of look straight ahead. Like, 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 look at me. Like my father is saying, like, look at me. Don't look to the right or to the left. Because what happens when you look to the right or the left is you go to the right or to the left. And so ultimately where your eyes are, that is where you're headed. And so anytime, um, you know, there would be like a pole or something that, to be honest, wasn't really that close. But then, like, you just immediately freak out and you just look at the pole. And you, dad's like, don't look at the pole. Don't look at the pole. And you're immediately just, that's where you're looking out of fear. And that's what just leads you to hitting the pole, <laughs> falling down. Just my, my brother constantly in the corner just laughing at me. But <laughs> where you look is where you're going. And I just want to encourage you guys in this. It's the same way in our faith with Jesus. I think oftentimes, like, we can get so consumed and so fixated on either the struggles, the temptations, sometimes just the hardships of life. And when we just focus on that, it leads us down the road that we're actually not intended. And so Jesus is saying, like, look, look at me. Like, 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 look at my eyes. Like, I am the one that's leading you. You know, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. But when our focus and our gaze is constantly on Jesus, that's where we can pursue him regardless of what our circumstances are. Going back to Daniel 6, there's this moment where the king is trapped (laughs) um, because they they then come back to him and they say, hey, king, like, didn't you sign this law or this decree that says anybody who worships anyone but you be put to death? And so there's this moment where the king is just kind of oblivious and he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, that's me. I did that. And, and they're like, well, we just, we, we saw Daniel worshiping God. And immediately this moment hits where, like, the king just, 
his stomach's wrapped, like his heart. Because like the king loved Daniel. And so there's this moment where it actually talks about he did everything he could to get Daniel out of the predicament. That he literally, like all day, was trying to find loopholes, was trying to find things, was trying to just do anything and everything he could to get Daniel out of the pit. Because, he, because that's not what he actually wanted for him. And yet, there was nothing he could do. Like the king, when you sign this law, this decree, he was at a point where he realized, sadly, that his hands were tied. And so there's this moment where the king orders the arrest of Daniel. And yet, as he's about to be sent into the, into the lion's den, this is where we pick up in verse 16. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of the nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. And again, I'm going to be honest, like I, as we've talked about, I'm a big animal nerd and I, and I love lions, but I would be terrified if you were just trapped overnight in a den of them. And so there's, I'm sure this moment of just fear I'm sure there's these just circumstances, again, that are so overwhelming. And yet, in these moments, God gets to show up and do something truly remarkable. And so, the third point is our problems are nothing compared to God's power and His promise. And again, it was this moment where and no man was able to rescue Daniel. And yet, that's when God gets to show up and do things that are truly remarkable. And I do say this, I don't want to downplay the struggle in that, because God is bigger than our circumstances, but often those circumstances can be really big ones. Like, I just want to say that. Like, I don't want to downplay often what we're going through, because sometimes what we're going through is tough. Sometimes it's, it's hard. And so, I'm not trying to downplay the struggle by any means, but I want to bring light and clarity to the power of God. And, and there is this piece of that God is so much bigger than the things that we are going with, going through. That Romans 8.31 says, What can I say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? And uh, in Matthew 21, 21 through 22, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And it says, Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You could even say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. And to be honest, I think it's almost human nature and human instinct to kind of read this verse and almost roll your eyes. Not to sound terrible, not to, but this idea of actually picking up a mountain and like moving it into the sea. Like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to pick up that thing over there and huck it. You know, like this isn't a superhero movie. And yet I think Jesus is getting so much more to the heart of it. Because I think that there are things in our lives that we perceive that way. I think there are circumstances in our life, maybe in our home, maybe in our school, maybe in our friends, that it feels impossible for God to move. It feels impossible for God to show up. And that's where I just say what feels impossible for man is so possible with God. It's so doable. We, we, Jesus' ministry was constantly miracle after miracle after miracle. Ways in which no man could explain what God did, and yet he did it anyway. Moments of healing. Moments of setting people free. And can I just say, the Bible isn't this outdated history textbook. 
I think oftentimes we can read the Bible and be like, okay, that was really cool then. What a, what a neat story. What a neat miracle. What a, what, what a fun healing. But that wouldn't happen today. No, no. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, like, like those stories aren't just neat history textbook moments. Like the Bible is real and relevant just as much today as it ever was. And so I think as we read that, I just want to encourage you guys to just kind of ask this question. What is that circumstance that feels impossible? That God is saying, no, 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 really, I want to move that mountain in your life and in your heart. That it, like nothing's off limits to the power in which I can move, the power in which I can create and restore. That in Psalms 34, 17 through 19, there's this moment where David is just, is just brokenhearted. He's despaired and he's crying out to help. He's crying out to God for help. And, it, and he just says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues them. He rescues um, those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. Jesus does not just hang you out to dry and leave you there. He is faithful to rescue and redeem and restore every time. Now, there are moments where I think our faith is being tested, we're being matured in a process, and so sometimes it's not easy. But again, there is this peace that God is always faithful. And the last point, number four, is just glory is given to God in the moments we persevere. And the world needs to see it. In Daniel 6, 19 through 23, I'm going to just kind of wrap up just the end of the story, the, the rest of it. And it says, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out of the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God is angel uh, he got, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And again, remember how in the beginning of the story I talked about these, these high officers that, that, again, tried to have Daniel killed, that tried to trick the king. And, and I kind of told you that, that jealousy is ugly and the story isn't going to end well. Um, well, the ending for them is the king is so frustrated because he felt deceived, he felt tricked, that sadly he actually, he, well, he ordered all of those men and their families to be thrown into the dens. And the first time, God sent an angel to shut them out. The second time, it actually says that the lions hit them and broke them before they even hit the ground. And so in these moments, though, when, God is, when, when we are faithful to God, he is faithful to move and to, re, to rescue in ways, again, that can't be explained any other way. If the worship team, um, again, just kind of wants to come back at this moment, I'm just going to kind of close with this. There's this moment, again, in, in verse 26. So the Lord rescues when, when, when we faithfully seek him. And, and there was this moment where the king was frustrated and, and, and he punished those that, that had tried to kill Daniel, had to trick him. 
And so there's this moment, though, where the king, and remember in the beginning of the story, the king was all about making a law that was just about worshiping himself. I mean, you know, you want to talk about pride, you want to talk about a little bit of arrogance, having a law that says you have to worship me and only me for the next 30 days. And yet we see just such a change in the king's heart. We see such a shift in the story. Because at the end of the story, in verse 26, he's actually worshiping and praising God. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. And I just want to say, Daniel wasn't the only one needing and hoping for a miracle. So did the king. I think oftentimes we can almost perceive it very black and white. As there's almost like two groups of people. There's the people uh, maybe that love Jesus, that, that are in the church. I mean, we're not perfect, but, but, but we're all about it. And then there's other people that are just kind of rooting against you every step of the way, that just want nothing to do with it, that want nothing to do with Jesus. And yet I really, in my heart, believe that's not actually true. I believe that there's another group that the king actually fit in. Because you see, the king was constantly rooting for Daniel in the story. The king actually never wanted Daniel to die. And I think that, honestly, there are those that want to believe but are wrestling with it. And so they look to someone stronger to help see if Jesus is actually real. That Daniel's strength gave the king strength. That Daniel's faith gave the king faith. That Daniel's inspiration inspired the king to worship God. And I think that there's this moment where there's people in our lives and in the story that actually aren't rooting for you to fail, that actually aren't trying. Because I think, again, often we just feel like the struggle is just people wanting me to compromise or people wanting me to go down the road. No, no, there's people that are like on the fence that actually want to see you succeed because they want to see if Jesus is really what we say it is. And so I think there's this moment that, again, you're not just fighting for you, but you're fighting for the people around you. There's something about God's glory being revealed in your life, but also bigger than just your life. And you get to play a story in expanding that and bringing glory to God in everything that we do. And I just want to end with just this, that Caleb, on the third night of camp, encouraged us to make a list of ten people and to pray for them. And, that, and to actually invite them into church, to bring them to maybe a summer night or a baptism night or something, and just to be believing for them. And I just want to encourage you, those people on the list may be so much closer than you think. So much closer than you think to coming, so much closer to believing. That again, I think there are those people that are itching and dying for Jesus to be real. They just need to be shown what it looks like. They just need to be shown grace. They just need to be shown love. They just, need to sh- they just need to be shown that God's power is real. And I just want to encourage you, you guys get to play that part in the story for your friends and those that we're contending with. So I- I'm going to close up and I'm going to pray, but as we go into just this, this time of worship, I just want to encourage you guys, if you have that list, look over it and pray for them. And if you don't, and maybe you weren't at camp, make a list right now. Write down people's names. Because I think there are so many people that are 
are just itching and dying to see the power and the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your power and your strength. Jesus, we thank you that the Bible isn't just an outdated textbook in which cool things happened long ago, but that your power is just as real right now as it ever was before. And that, Jesus, you move in the impossible. You move in the moments of life that truly make no sense. And so, Jesus, if we're at a place where we're discouraged and brokenhearted, would you pick us up? If we're at a place where we need your love and we need you to rescue us, Jesus, you are all about rescuing your children because you love so dearly. And yet, if we're, if we're great and if we're coming back from camp and we're solid, Jesus, would we spread that story with so many other people? With, with, with those people that are on the fence that are secretly rooting for you to win because they want to know that the power of God is real. Jesus, would you allow us the strength to love those people? That would we have strength to give others strength, courage to give others courage, faith to give others faith. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In your name. Amen.